Would you turn in the Scriptures, please, to John chapter 15, and we'll read verses 1 to 9. John 15, 1 to 9. Jesus is speaking here. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned." But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Lord, bless Your Word as we now turn our minds to ponder its truth and speak into each of our hearts a word that is just right for us to hear and to act on. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The sand in the hourglass was passing quickly. Jesus had shared the Last Supper with His disciples. Judas Iscariot had sped off quickly into the dark night to engineer the betrayal of Jesus. Jesus Himself was soon to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and to wrestle there with the prospect of the cross and to intercede with the Father in His great high priestly prayer on behalf of all believers. It's at this critical moment when time is at an absolute premium that Jesus begins to speak to His disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. You would think three years leading up to this point, surely Jesus could have spoken at leisure about the coming of the Holy Spirit, but no, it's at this moment, as everything comes to its climax, that He takes the time to speak to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who will come once He Himself has left to return to the Father. The Spirit who will be Jesus' own living presence to be with the disciples as they serve and follow Jesus day by day in the years to come. And so, he begins to speak about this third person of the Trinity and about the ministry that the third person of the Trinity will have in the lives of believers. 
John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. John 14, 26. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. John 15, 26, he continues, I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. So the Holy Spirit comes as a gift from Jesus to the disciples, and He will be with them always, and He will remind them of the things Jesus said and the things Jesus did. And furthermore, according to Jesus, John 16, verse 8, when He comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So, in other words, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to be crucial in bringing conviction of sin, in bringing regeneration to a person's life so that they are born anew, born from above, educating them, teaching them of all that Jesus had said and done, and sanctifying them within, purifying them, so that they might become more and more like Jesus. When I first went into the ministry in the 1970s, in the early 1970s, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was very controversial. In fact, I look back on that time with a, a great degree of sadness because things were said on both sides of the divide that were hurtful and unhelpful, that were demeaning, and in many ways were a discredit to the gospel. The differences, of course, were around the issue of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And isn't it funny how we seem to zone in on the issue of gifts from the Holy Spirit so much and forget, actually, that the New Testament speaks an awful lot more about fruit from the Holy Spirit. And if we had evidenced more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives at that time, then maybe we wouldn't have got into the mess that we did get into over the Holy Spirit's ministry. Thankfully, those days have gone, and hopefully they'll not come back and become problematic to us anymore. But as Jesus was speaking with His disciples and preparing to go to Gethsemane and then to be arrested by the crowds and the soldiers, as He prepared for that, He began to speak to His disciples and say, remember, the Holy Spirit, I will send to you, and He will always be with you, and He will be my representative, and He will remind you, and He will help you to grow in your faith. He is much more concerned about the fruit of the Holy Spirit as He speaks with His disciples. And so, in John 15, 5, in the passage that we read, John 15, 5, and then verse 16, he says to them, I am the vine, and you are the branches, and those who remain in me and I in them will produce 
much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So, let's think about bearing sun-ripened fruit. Um, next week when I'm with you, we'll look at the first in the list of things that Paul says about the fruit of the Spirit, that being love. But let's think about just in general the fruit of the Holy Spirit and bearing fruit as we're supposed to do, producing lasting fruit. Those who remain in me will produce much fruit. So we see, first of all, in what Jesus says, the importance of bearing fruit. When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives, His purpose is to shape and mold us into the very image of Jesus Himself. He wants to make us like Christ. And He is the one through whom God brings about the spiritual rebirth. His purpose is not only to transform us, but to conform us into the likeness of Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, those who have been born again have had that veil removed. And he says, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrase of Romans 8.28, says, God in His foreknowledge chose us to bear the family likeness of the Son. So this is what the Holy Spirit's intent is within us, that you and I should bear the family likeness of the Son. Now, when folks see my daughter Emma, quite often they say, you don't need to ask who your father is. They can see it, poor soul in her face. <laughs> She bears the family likeness, in other words. And we say that often about others. Oh, I can see your granny in you. Uh, you know, you're so like your, your father. <laughs> Something like that. Bearing the family likeness. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, is doing within each one of us, so that we might bear the family likeness of Jesus, so that we might be like Christ Himself. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 17, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And in Galatians 5, towards the end of that chapter, Paul says we recognize the worldly person by the fruit that his life produces, and we recognize the spiritual person, the godly person, by the fruit that their life produces. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pressures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. What a catalogue. No wonder I didn't tell them all to the children. <laughs> but what a catalogue. And that's the kind of fruit that the worldly person 
exemplifies and bears in their lives. But, Paul goes on to say, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a contrast between two ways of living. The person who lives outside of Christ lives a natural life that bears the characteristics of our sinful nature, but the Christian lives a supernatural life by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that bears the characteristics of the spiritual nature. Because the Spirit lives within us, we are empowered supernaturally to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question. Is there evidence in our daily lives that we are Christians and that the Holy Spirit is living within us? Now, the question isn't saying, are you living a perfect life? Even although as Christians we're saved and the Holy Spirit lives within us, we're still sinners, but we're forgiven sinners. But the question asks, has the fundamental orientation of our lives been transformed through our encounter with Jesus through the Holy Spirit? Are we changed and transformed people? And because of that, do our lives give evidence of supernatural fruit? The fruit that Paul bears testimony to in Galatians 5. You see, bearing sun-ripened fruit is not the prerogative of a select super, few super-spiritual saints. It's the privilege of every true Christian. We go to Christian bookshops and we buy biographies of this Christian and that Christian. We read them up and we're inspired by them, and that's good. But, you know, bearing spiritual fruit is not just for folks like that. It's for ordinary folks like you and me. We are all to be bearing spiritual fruit in our lives for God. In his book, Down with Heaven, Ian Barclay says the display of this fruit is not the result of more faith, a second blessing, a closer walk, a higher life, or a more frantic fanaticism. It is simply the result of normal Christian living. That means it's within each of our grasp. If we are living normal Christian lives, the Holy Spirit is within us and is at work in our lives, then we will bear spiritual fruit for God. So, we see there the importance of bearing fruit. Secondly, we see the expectation of bearing fruit. God expects us, if we are His, to produce spiritual fruit in our everyday lives. The prophet Isaiah sang a song about God's vineyard. And in that song, he says that after preparing it and planting it, Isaiah 5.2, he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes that grew 
were bitter. The song goes on to talk about how God will judge Israel because the fruit she was bearing was worldly in character and not spiritual. Isaiah 5, 7, the nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of heaven's armies. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead he found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, but instead he heard cries of violence. God didn't find the fruit he expected for the work he had invested in the vineyard. And God has invested a huge amount of energy and effort into you and me and into the church of Jesus Christ. And he's looking at the kind of fruit that we are bearing. And the question's being asked, is it bitter fruit or sweet? Are we bearing the right kind of fruit that brings pleasure to him and blesses the world? Or are we bearing worldliness, the fruit of worldliness in our lives? Yes, I am the vine, said Jesus. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. God has made an investment in us, and the investment is Jesus himself. His life, his sacrificial death on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb, his ascension to glory. God has made that kind of investment in us. What kind of return are we giving to him? The first thing we want to say about the expectation of bearing fruit is that spiritual fruit is distinctive. The fruit Jesus is speaking of in John chapter 15 is the outflow of the life of the vine that's reproduced in the branches. And that's a life that you cannot counterfeit. Spiritual fruit is distinctive because it originates in the life of God Himself. God says in Hosea 14 and verse 8, all your fruit comes from me. We can't develop the spiritual fruit by our own efforts. Some people think if they overlay on top of their lives good habits, good deeds, even um, religious actions, that somehow that means they will bear spiritual fruit, the kind of lives will be the way that God wants them to be. It doesn't work that way. You have to be changed and transformed from within so that the life of Jesus himself, the vine, will be in you, the branch, and that the fruit that you bear, therefore, is the fruit that arises quite distinctively through the power of the one who lives within you, not through your effort, but through the power of the one who lives within, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it's distinctive, and we can only produce that kind of fruit when Jesus himself lives within us, 
when our heartbeat is the heartbeat of Jesus. But spiritual fruit is also productive. In John 15, Jesus speaks of spiritual fruit uh, as being progressively productive. John 15, 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more fruit. John 15, 5, and those who remain in me and I and them will produce much fruit. So, no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. That's the progression that Jesus has here in John chapter 15. I planted two gooseberry bushes in pots last year, and they began to come away, and I got about half a dozen gooseberries <laughs> out of them. I watched them, and I pruned them because I said you have to keep the center clear so that the, things, the, 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 the branches can grow and there's room for for the fruit to form. And this year, I can see lots of fruit forming. So, from, from little fruit, I'll get more fruit this year, and next year, I'm banking on much fruit. <laughs> much fruit. Now, that's how it goes. When we become Christians, from having lived a life in which there was no fruit, we bear some fruit, and we're pruned, and we bear more fruit, and we grow in grace until we bear much fruit for God. That's the progression Jesus is, is picturing here in John chapter 15. Spiritual fruit is productive, and God is looking for much fruit from each of our lives. It's not really going to be satisfied with a few piddling bits of fruit, <laughs> like, like half a dozen gooseberries on a bush. No. He's wanting your life to be laden with spiritual fruit. It's a wonderful picture that Jesus is, is portraying. It's a wonderful picture as He speaks to us about the productiveness of bearing spiritual fruit. So, the expectation of bearing spiritual fruit is distinctive, that fruit, and it's productive, and the conditions for bearing fruit. There are three preconditions that the Bible makes for bearing spiritual fruit. First of all, we have to abide in Christ. John 15, 4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Abiding in Christ, remaining close to Him, being with Him moment by moment, every day, is a prerequisite for bearing fruit. Gaudi defined abiding in Christ as the continuous act by which the Christian lays aside all he might draw from his own wisdom, strength, and merit, to desire all from Christ by the inward aspiration of faith, putting aside everything to do with yourself. And all the things that, <clears throat> from a human perspective and the old nature, you would say, that makes me significant and important. No, no, putting it all aside and focusing entirely on Jesus Christ and letting His life 
live itself out through you, abiding in Him, so that you can bear spiritual fruit. If you separate yourself from the vine, if you wander away, you cut yourself off from the source of nourishment. John 15, 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So, to bear fruit, we have to remain in Jesus. We have to abide in Christ. Also, we have to absorb the Word. And uh, I, I mentioned the word absorb. Sorry, I'm behind there. Absorb the Word. The Word of God is nourishment that we have to take in and absorb into the very fiber of our being so that we can become fruitful. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3, says of spiritual people, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, they prosper in all they do. Meditating day and night on the Word, absorbing it. That's much more than just reading the Word and taking the Word in. It's letting the Word get a hold of you. It's not just you getting a hold of the Word, it's letting the Word grip you and live its life out through you. So, we are to abide in Christ. We are to absorb the Word into our very being and let the Word work itself out in our everyday lives so that we can be fruitful. And then we should be anchored in the Almighty. Jeremiah 17, verse 6 the prophet says, worldly people are like stunted shrubs in the desert. Do you remember these Western films? And the wind's blowing, and you see all the tumbleweed just… Well, that's the picture that Isaiah, uh, that, that Jeremiah is, is picturing there in Jeremiah 17, 6, like stunted shrubs in the desert. Uh, and that's how worldly people are, scraggy old shrubs with hardly any roots. But he contrasts this to spiritual people in Jeremiah 17, 8 who, with reflections on Psalm 1, the prophet says, are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green. They never stop producing fruit. When you've got spiritual roots that go right down into the Almighty Creator of the universe, then you will continue to bear fruit no matter what the conditions are around you, whether it's arid and dry or whether the wind is blowing a gale, your roots anchor you into God and you draw your nourishment from Him. Psalm 92 Verse 12 to 15 says, The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. 
for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. Some of us are really holding on to that last bit in that passage about even in old age, they will still be vital and green and bear fruit. Because that's how God intends us to be. As His redeemed people in whom the Holy Spirit resides, He wants us to bear fruit for His glory. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we reflecting too much of the world's likeness and not enough of the family likeness of the Son? Are we bearing fruit, the kind of fruit that God is expecting to see in our lives by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people look at you and say, yeah, as I said to the children in their talk, there's a real Christian. There's someone who looks like Jesus must have looked, who lives as Jesus must have lived, bearing fruit that will last. If we are like that, then... The Apostle Paul says this, we will be able to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. May God make us fruitful like that for His glory and for His pleasure. Amen.